Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good to see you. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to be involved in the recording of a silent meditation album. An old school record that was meant to be played on a record player. There's a sticker on the album cover that reads, this record contains two sides of complete silence. The album doesn't require a record player to be fully enjoyed. (laughs) Technically, it doesn't even require a record. The perfect gift for the person who wants nothing. Now, of course, this record was an homage to the composer John Cage in his famous four minutes and 33 seconds, where Cage sits at a piano and he plays nothing. And as you listen, you realize that even though the piano's quiet, the room is not. And the whole point of the piece is to remind you how much ambient noise that there actually is all around you, all the time. Sometimes in the forms of thoughts. And of course, the same principle applies to meditation. Sometimes we don't notice the ambient noise in our minds until we try to make it still, control it, keep it quiet, so that we can come back to breath, body, or sounds. And soon we realize, or we may realize, that the mind can actually be a random story maker, a thought generator. Have you experienced this as a story maker? thought generator, the neurons firing, thoughts appearing here and there, and there's this part of the mind just trying to make sense of it all, and we've gotten pretty good at creating these little thought worlds based on random and repeated thoughts, so good at times that we actually tend to forget that we are in this process of creating all the time. And we often take our thought creations for these hard, solid realities. Sometimes it's good actually to start with no instructions or no directions. Sometimes they're not needed at all. Looking at thoughts, we can set the attention, the intention to view thoughts as a process as actors on a stage, appearing and reappearing in scenes, coming and going, in a movie that's already edited, spliced together. So I want to try a little experiment for just five minutes and ask you to watch the play or movie that's already been created. No need to critique it. You are not Rotten Tomatoes. Just watch it. And I'll ask for a show of hands for a few questions afterwards. So for the next five minutes, I'll sound the bell at the end of that five minutes. Just watch what's on on the screen. Watch what's on the stage.
And if you're wondering, that wasn't five minutes because I had the thought, I can't wait five minutes. <laughs> and I believed it sometimes, right? Thoughts are real but not true. Real insofar as they're actually happening, but not true in that I can't actually wait five minutes. It's like, <sighs> so that's for a show of hands. How many clearly noticed at least one thought? Okay. How many clearly noticed five to ten? More than 20. Pretty sure it's at least 100. (laughs) How many of these thoughts were of the past, whether it was five minutes ago, five years ago? And how many had thoughts of the future? How many had thoughts of boredom? So we can learn from paying mindful attention, opening in a way that that really can actually shift our awareness to the space around things and experience this openness of the mind that actually holds these thoughts and feelings in a way that offers a little bit of freedom. So this morning, of course, we're expanding the instructions to include thoughts. And some of you may already be able to experience thoughts just by letting them go, not giving them much attention, and returning to an experience like the breath or body or sounds. And you continue on doing that. Sensations as well. And I know some of you mentioned yesterday in the practice meetings the frustration and surprise at the sheer number of thoughts the frequency of thoughts and their ability and power to take you out of mindful presence. So it would be really easy to actually have the attitude that thoughts are bad and need to be controlled and are the enemy in their meditation practice. And oftentimes people believe that they're supposed to have no thoughts. But they're not. We can learn to be with them, learn from them. This is actually quite an important step in our meditation practice. Of course, thoughts have the extraordinary power. The many decisions that we make come out of thoughts. We can be lost in thoughts for long periods of time, not noticing the present moment. But really, a thought is just another object that arises and passes. And we want to discover a new relationship with thoughts. Again, the object of meditation is less important than your relationship to it. We want to see that We can be as aware of a thought as we can the in-breath or the out-breath. Sometimes in meditation, we, we will eventually start to ask, well, what is a thought, really? A whisper of energy that says its peace and fades away? So light that it's almost nothing? 
And yet we give these thoughts the power to rule our lives and sound a bell at somewhere two and a half minutes rather than the five minutes. So we're going to take this opportunity to meditate with the thoughts as our focus and maybe see what they really are. And of course, I encourage you, if you're feeling particularly quiet, then you continue on doing the practice that you're doing. And my voice can be a voice in the background, can be sound in the background. If you've been working with thoughts or have had lots of repeated thoughts, patterns, old habits, it's been plaguing you, the meditation, then of course you can try it. If you're just curious, you can try it. So coming into presence, finding in our posture a balance somewhere between relaxation and ease, uprightness and alertness. We let our attention open to sounds, perhaps. Sometimes this brings in a sense of openness and receptivity. Connect and rest in any sounds, the sound of my voice, the sound of a current. Connect with sensations arising and passing in the body. Or perhaps knowing there is a body. Connecting with the body sitting. You can connect with the breathing expanding and contracting like a balloon. warm or cool air at the nostrils, the rise and fall of the belly, movement of the chest area. Settling into a really a steady knowing of that experience moment after moment. If your attention is drawn to a thought that's arising, make that thought the focus for awareness. Turn your attention to it fully and be mindful of its expression. When the thought passes, you can return attention to your anchor or another dominant experience. 
When you notice another thought arising, become mindful of that new thought. Of course, it can be quite helpful to use a soft mental note when observing a thought. Perhaps it's something like thinking, thinking. If a specific kind of thought comes again and again, you might develop a note that labels what kind of thought it is. Planning, judging, rehearsing, story. When the thought passes, see what experience is drawing the attention next and be mindful of that. Now see if you can let go of any anchor and open to the space in front of or around you as though you were looking at a screen or stage. Watch what plays on that screen or stage. Pay attention and notice the first thought that comes after I finish this sentence. Were you able to notice a thought arising, lasting a little while and passing? If so, this is mindfulness of thought as a present moment experience. You then return attention to be with an anchor, breath, body, sounds, sensations. Now let go of the anchor and connect with the stage or screen again, noticing the first two thoughts that come when I finish this sentence.
Could you see the thoughts as a present moment object? You can be aware of the thought and its content, but without losing mindfulness and getting caught in the content. It's not always an easy practice. The more we do it, the more we can become skilled at it. If it becomes confusing or overwhelming, we simply go back to our anchor. Breath, body, sensations, or sounds.
as we practice mindfulness, we find a way of being that isn't totally dependent on thinking. Mindfulness is a non-conceptual faculty. We can see thoughts as simply another present moment object arising, persisting and passing away. It has the ability to hold all of our experience in balance. Sensations in the body, emotions, and thoughts. All conditioned things rise and pass away. Realizing this deeply brings about the greatest happiness. time for a couple of questions. I wanted to say one thing. With the um, mindfulness of thinking, it's an, it's an exercise, something to play around or explore with a little bit here and there. I wouldn't suggest it be something that you do all day, perhaps, um, just to here and there. And if it's something that um, you need not explore, then don't. You continue on with the practice that you're doing as well. Um, do you have any questions about Faith last night or mindfulness of thinking, movement, something that you've heard? Yes, please. We'll hang in just a moment. Uh, where does contemplation come up in this practice? You know, we're getting a lot of information. It needs to be digested in some way. I think that it's important to go beyond just digesting it intellectually, but intellectual scaffolding can be useful for me in order to... It's what I've relied on, so it helps me to make sense of um, what's going on sensorily as well. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, at what point (laughs) do I think about what I'm doing and, and mm. use that old standby. Thursday at noon. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, on one hand, right, there, there is contemplation, but we, right, we do rely on it, we do think about it, and what happens oftentimes is the mind, the narrator, the observer wants to hijack it and just intellectualize and analyze it all along the way. It's rare that we actually have the opportunity to just be with the bare attention and just allow contemplation, inquiry, insight to arise out of that. And there are recollections and and inquiries that we do in meditation, but with where we are in starting and beginning, we don't do that yet because the tendency is to immediately go to that thinking mind to analyze all of it that's happening. And I understand. So, I mean, for myself on, on retreat, oftentimes, I mean, when I went back, to my room at, at night, 
then I would contemplate, of course, some of what has happened during the day or maybe a time period. If I'm sitting at the table having a cup of tea, I do. And you you really want to be cognizant or mindful of that, of how much time you're spending doing that. There's been times when I've been able to contemplate a couple of things that were said and digest them. It's been really helpful and supportive. And then other times where then I'm at the board with a stack of notes and I'm at the table writing down everything that was said. And I'm completely out of the practice at that point. So it's, it's tricky in there, right? The idea is that you're, like not, that you're getting all these teachings and you're never going to contemplate them. That's, no, you, you definitely want to be able to do that, for sure. So it is in there, but it, it's, just, it's, it's tricky because our tendency is to rely on that and do it now. But what happens is we end up getting hijacked and not actually being with our direct experience. Um, this might, maybe should wait till Thursday at noon, but (laughs) um, is delusion, so greed and hatred are pretty clear to me, but delusion has this really blurry quality to it. And with regards to this exercise on thoughts, is delusion the clinging to thoughts, the getting lost in thoughts, or is there... An example that could point to delusion more clearly from maybe your experience. Yeah, great question. I'll I'll say a little bit, and I think, yeah, one of you two may have. Which which one of you is more the deluded type? (laughs) Which more the deluded type? I wasn't going to say anything, but I kind of was. I wasn't going to say anything. Right. See, and there, there's this thing in, within in, in, uh, Buddhist cosmology or thinking that, that at times, and they're really general categories that we break down, that you can break down the personalities into three types, a greed type, aversive type, um, or deluded type. And I think I personally have identified early on as an aversive type, but I think I'm actually a greed type because I want to also be the aversive type. Like I want, I want the full range of experience, the attention that comes with all of that. It, but it's just greed. Um, delusion is, is typically, how, how I understand it, is, is really when you don't know. It's like, what, what happened? Where, where am I at? What thought? Like not knowing, not knowing. And the confusion there, that, that, is, that is typically delusion. I mean, on a really general scale. But you may have, either, either of you have a... Yeah, the joke is that deluded types don't know that they're deluded, right? The confusion. So um, I've been working quite a bit with delusion lately in my own practice because it's hardest to see. I think. Greed and aversion are obvious. Delusion, we have to be very subtle in our mindfulness to see when it's functioning, but it has a flavor. And you can see for yourself what that analogy might be. For me, it's a kind of fog or this kind of undertow that comes when I'm believing my thoughts. 
think that's a good way when you're working with thoughts, if you're looking for a delusion, look for that like, this is true, <laughs> right? In our practice, sometimes we have these convictions. Oh yeah, she's totally like that. That's true, right? Or I got to go do that. That Like this kind of, um, there's a kind of driven feeling with these thoughts where we are so invested in them being true. And like Dee said, they're real, right? Our thoughts are happening and they're, they're a phenomenon happening in the mind. But are they really real? Are they true? And we're going to talk more about this tomorrow, but thoughts are changing. There's so much change and flux. And one, per, one thing I'm believing one day, and the, I realize the whole opposite thing is true the next. That's kind of the beauty of mindfulness is that we start to see how our perceptions are changing and they're pretty confused a lot of the time. They're not accurate. They're not accurate. So this can be a really rich area for exploration, especially in looking at thoughts. What are you really clinging to as true? And could there be another truth that's there underneath? See if you can find delusion and use your own analogy. What is the flavor of it? What is it that we're not seeing? What is it that's like confusing us? And this takes a long time, so it can take patience, but that's that's what I would say, I'm sure. We could talk all week about delusion because, yeah, as Devin was saying, um, we're constantly being led in some way by greed, hatred, and delusion in some way until we fully awaken and there's clarity fully in the mind. Um, So, yeah, I think just to know, as Devin just said, when there's a... We're constantly meeting reality with a filter. And... So just to know that, like delusion is always a bit there because we're adding a concept to reality. So, um, so yeah, just to investigate our experience. Okay, right now there's a sound, for example, that's being heard. I'm adding maybe an image in the mind of what it might be. But if we come back, so there might be delusion there, or we're adding our own perception of it. So the, the interest is to just go um, before that. What, what was the vibration that touched the ear, for example? And it's just to be interested, actually. Because as Bo Devins just said, you know, it's, it's so subtle. It's so subtle. So we're just, we just have to be more and more interested in our direct experience right now what's what's alive in us right now um, so I often ask myself okay what's being known what's being known so just drop in that question um, so yeah but yeah ignorance is there often <laughs> thank you thank you thank you for the John Cage reference too. <laughs>
there's one, right? I often find myself having thought trains. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, ooh, there's a thought. Oh, that's a thought. That's a thought too. <laughs> and it's just thoughts all the way down. Um, and so how do you find that separation, you know, to, to truly step back from that? I'll add one thing, and then I'll tell my colleagues. So sometimes with that, being in, in that place in the mind, oftentimes what I've found helpful or, or supportive is to really go into the body sensations. I go to the body and begin to notice and observe what's happening in the body, and that helps to take me off the train. And at times, right, it's going to it's going to come back and be there. I oftentimes, and I think because I, I do um, a lot of, of meta practice, right, which is an active practice, a directive practice. I'm redirecting those thoughts oftentimes because I'm just it's the repetition of images or phrases that I'm using, and so the thought train isn't isn't there and seems to diminish or has diminished um, over time greatly, where I don't have that nearly as much. Um, but typically, I'm, I'm going to the body with those, with those sort of things. Um, but I'll add, Roxanne, I think has something. Um, Joseph sometimes talks about uh, bringing in the acts of wisdom. So sometimes we have to be when the mind kind of always is always sticking, sticking again, and it does that. You know, thinking is happening. We're so this is what we do. We're so conditioned to think. So we're really, as we're, we've been saying, this is such a radical practice of, of actually connecting. Okay, what right now, right here. Okay, there's thoughts, but there's also different things that are arising that we can bring our attention to. So sometimes we bring the acts of wisdom that's like, okay, that's enough. Um, and it's an, uh, an acts of kindness. <laughs> um, but it's, it can be direct. It's like, okay... Um, so every time we notice in those moments that we notice that we've been thinking with a bit of um, kind of more direct effort, we bring the attention back, as Devin was just saying, back to the body. And we might have to do that quite a few times, you know. So we have to check in the effort and the energy that we put on doing that. Um, and often just to give the mind a task, like adding... Again, noting can be very be um, be supportive. Uh, sometimes counting can be really supportive. Um, I I learned um, in Thailand just moving the attention to different touch points in the body. So going from the um, the left uh, right thigh to the left side, and then to the right shoulder and left shoulder. So I do kind of an X. My attention moves to different points and start again um, with the breathing. So just to give sometimes the mind, the mind something to hold on to, um, it helps to have okay something to be doing in some way. And then the mind can settle for a while. 
And then, yeah, and then thoughts come back. We know no thoughts, thinking, and we come back again. But there's really this intention of coming back to something that's happening in the body. Um, yeah, so sometimes there's an effort that needs to be done to actually bring us back, bring us back, bring us back. And to really trust that it's a training, you know. It might take uh, a while and to trust that every time that we wake up from those thinking streams, we're planting that seed of mindfulness. Yeah. Um, and, st- and it's just, again, it's to find that gentle effort in bringing us back to the experiential aspect. Yeah. Anything else? Thank, thank you all. Thank you for the questions. There will be an opportunity tomorrow for questions and in your groups today. Speaking of, so make sure you take a look at the board if, if you were not seen yesterday uh, for your name on the board. And if you were not seen yesterday and your name is not on the board still, then please leave a note for the front office so we can make sure that you get seen. Um, so today is the testing day, the second testing day, and it will happen right after lunch. It is required, so everyone actually really needs to do this um, it's mandatory that, that we go and, and do this second testing. And, and you'll have time, so everyone isn't going to come at the same time. I think there'll they'll be a board there with, with um, last names and your time, so please come on time at your time so we can have that process moving along. Okay? Um, we're a couple notes about um, some of the poems and the chanting, Dhamma Ruins chanting. So all those things we will make available at the end of the retreat. So any, any of the poems that you've heard will be, most of the poems will be available at the end of the retreat. And um, there'll be a, um, a note for Dhamma Ruins chant, which is on Dharma Seed, so we can tell you where that is. And there was the BIPOC, there's peer-led BIPOC affinity set at 6.30 today upstairs. So the first person that, that enters a room or whoever, somebody, just take the bell and you'll sit for that time period and sound the bell at seven. Um, sense. So there was a, a few notes about sense, which, which happens, right? Because we're here at the center and it's uh, fragrance-free and a lot of the world outside is not. So, right, it, at times we have fragrance, different things in our clothing. So we want to be a little bit aware of, of something that may be a little bit stronger just just to help to take care of the community. Even things, right, things that are supposed to be natural sense, yeah, they're natural sense and they have fragrance as, as well. So we want to just be aware of that. And I think that's, that's all. Yeah, that's everything. So please have a lovely, wonderful day, or just a day, however it goes for you. It's a good opportunity, a chance for mindfulness. Thank you all. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.